Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film podcast that tests the potential unsung COVID vaccines of cinema to see if they're ready for human trials and perhaps government approval or are just a useless placebo with side effects that might give you the squints. I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you boys? Uh, all right, thanks. <laughs> I was all right until you said the word squints. Oh. It's quite an onomatopoeic word, isn't it? Yeah. Lovely and... It gets the job Lovely. done, definitely. Yeah, there. I don't need the supported uh, sound effect, thanks, Rob. Yeah, sorry, Ed. The listeners didn't see the nice mime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite invasive. Uh, how are you, fellas? Have you been watching much this week? Um, I mean, does Married at First Sight Australia count? Oh, mate, mate. I hear everyone's Damn. talking about this. What is this? It's incredible. That's what it is. <laughs> I want our listeners down under to tell us if if it's a, such a big hit over there. It's just <laughs> it's just incredible. Uh, there's one contestant in it. I, I might watch over 200 movies this year. I will not see a villain as dastardly as this person. No. <laughs> what, Innes? Yeah. Is, it, is it Innes, James? Yo, yeah. she is the worst. It makes me physically angry, that program. Like, she makes me so angry when I'm watching it. <laughs> Jesus, it is. Good Let me just make a note. What Australian first dates or uh, married, married at, at first, first sight, sight Australia? Right. Oh yeah, it's way it's way more intense than a first date. <laughs> so they get they look at each other, then get married. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Experts pick their partners. Yeah, they're, they're st- incredible. They're stood at the altar, and then the first time they see them is when they turn around, and the the bride's walking up the up the aisle. Is this passing for entertainment <laughs> these days? This it's is incredible. insane. It was the Danish who invented it, so uh, they they invented the the, oh. the idea, and it's gone around the world because it's. Uh, I think it's been on. I think there's a British version, but the Australian one is just off its head, and it's. Just, <laughs> oof, oof. Is it like that car crash kind of stuff that you? Oh just, yeah! Oh, oh yeah! Yeah! yeah. yeah. That's yeah. obviously why I love it. It's binfire TV for a binfire world, definitely. <laughs> Deeply applicable, then. But it's nice because you know I wasn't. We've not been able to leave the country for over a year or whatever. It's just nice to see somewhere else, to be <laughs> other than my road and surrounding area. <laughs> yes, I'm very familiar with the the track of you know pavement outside the house. Exactly. Really, yeah. I'll fight with that now. Yeah. But uh, from the ridiculous to the sublime. So I sort of set myself this 2021 challenge where I was going to go through and see sort of classic movies that I'd never seen all the way through before. So this is how my 2021 has shaped up. So this is the first five weeks. And I must preface as well with with these films. Because we all studied film at university, I have seen elements of these films before, but never seen them all the way through. And I'd sort of seen the key moments from these movies and that sort of I thought that would ruin the enjoyment of them and then I never got around to actually watching them in their entirety so I kicked the year off with the original King Kong which I think I've mentioned on a previous episode Mm. the following week Casablanca what a great movie that is followed that up the following week Sunset Boulevard that's been my favorite so far what a film that is oh seriously it's incredible Really? You could make it today. Amazing. You could, like, it's that relevant still. It's so, so wow. good. Wow. Uh, on the waterfront with Marlon Brando. Can actually understand what he's saying in this movie. He's, he's incredible. <laughs> like his level of acting, it's like he's playing a different sport to everyone else who's in the film. It's just astonishing. Really? Yeah. Um, and then 
Twelve Angry Men, which is just a perfect movie. Mm. Had you never seen that before? That's, yeah, I'd seen. We, I'd seen the sort of opening of it during a film course uh, at sixth form. I don't know. I just never revisited after that. But it's directed by Sidney Lumet, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's just brilliant. I, th- I think we watched it in. Um, I studied law at A level, and I think our law yeah. teacher showed it us. You know, when it's like the end of term, and you can't be asked, so he just yeah. stuck a film on. <laughs> so we, we watched Trump. It's 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 a stunning movie, isn't it? Like it's, it's so amazing. good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Can I can I confess something? Um, sort of awful. Um, I. Uh, Love that movie. Um, but when I was doing, um, before I was able to go to film school and meet up with you guys, I did a dastardly law degree before. <laughs> um, and I uh, I don't regret things in life, but I do regret the fact that I didn't put thing, put more of myself into this degree. Um, case in point was when it came to the dissertation at the end, um, I, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I'd like to talk about um, the law in cinema. And I picked two films because I was obsessed with movies. So yeah. I picked two films to discuss. Um, the first one was 12 Angry Men. Um, yeah. And the second one was Out for Justice with Steve <laughs> I was going to oh say, it, it's definitely a cigar movie. In my head, I was like, it's definitely cigar. Um, if you want my 15,000 word paper on how those two uh, approach the law in different ways. <laughs> What mark did you get? That. Do you remember? I love that. I'm a third. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Worth it. Worth it. Definitely worth uh, it. Definitely worth it. Uh, <laughs> so, what about you? What have you been enjoying? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been really slack on the movie watching because of the aforementioned um, <laughs> Married at First Sight Australia. Completely, <laughs> completely obsessed with it, even though it angers me to the core. Um, I, still, I just can't stop watching it. Um, oh, Simon, my, uh, my, Jane, my wife, said, uh, she said, oh, I bet Simon likes uh, Married yep. at First Sight yep. Australia. She is right. <laughs> he is right. <laughs> It's like we're flicking between that. Um, we're, we're still getting through uh, Below Deck. We we hadn't watched Below Deck for a while, but we're back on we're back on the boat with that. Uh, watching that. <laughs> I love that program. Um, and, and yeah, this oh, it's so good. And uh, RuPaul's Drag Race as well. I'm, I'm getting into that. It's really good. It's really See, these are the touchstone, you know, <laughs> properties of reality TV here. <laughs> I'm fully up to date with RuPaul's Drag Race though, so I've not got any episodes. So I was like, "Oh God, I need the next one to come out." So, I can <laughs> um, but no, there was, there was one movie I did catch, which I think is worth a mention. Was like a really low key, low budget teen horror film called The Wretched. Ooh, we we stumbled upon it um, on Now TV, just you know, just trying to find a ninety minute to watch on, and it was on Now TV. For most of its runtime, it feels like a, a carbon copy of that slew of suburban 80s teenage boy versus the creepy neighbor flick you know like fright night and lost Mm, boys and monster squad it's very much in that sort of wheelhouse um with it's got some really amazing prosthetic work and like an an, a final act which kind of blew me away to be honest i thought the the final half hour was brilliant like i didn't see it coming at all so it's more of like a a thumbs up homage rather than like a rip-off of those films from the 80s so it sits alongside them rather than being just like a shameless sort of complete ripoff. But yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It's a really enjoyable teenage monster spook fest. Ooh. It's not particularly scary, but I'm so bad with horror films anyway. That's why I quite liked it. And it's quite funny. 
Um, and apparently it costs sixty six thousand dollars to make. Oh and wow! No way. When I felt I, it can't be true because what what they've done <laughs> with that is it's insane. It's like just filmed in some sort of like um, like a lake town in in like middle America or something. You know, like Ozark or something like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Filmed in a place like that, but it's got some wicked monster effects going on. Um, yeah, it's if you've got ninety minutes and you like and you're just in for just the sort of very much like the film tonight, I guess. Just sort of a spooky film rather than a scary film. Mm. It's really good. It's, I really oh, I'm enjoyed definitely it. Check that out. Yeah, yeah, really, that sounds really, good. really cool. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, awesome. Um, I, I must admit, now that things are settling a little bit after the madness of moving house and all that kind of stuff, I'm actually able to sit and watch a bit more at night and the kids are sleeping a bit better. So the things... I see. Well, it's it's the Mandalorian season two is what I've managed to watch. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, it's outstanding. It's so it's good. Just, it's it, it's absolute, elite. It? It's just elite entertainment. I, I think that's my my. I think my go to phrase when something is just so inspiringly well made that you yeah. just can't do anything about it. And I've been looking at the behind the scenes stuff about the the LED sets. It's just mad yeah. how they've made this thing, but it's brilliant. And I think that it's become like a cultural touchstone for me. Whenever you see Pedro Pascal's face, you know, it's so serious and it's just massive when you see his face because he's in the helmet the whole time. Yeah. I really, really love it. Aside from that, um, I've been enjoying the um, PGA Tour because this week it's the Waste Management Open, which I think is the funniest name for a tournament of all time. <laughs> <laughs> just the waste management open um, aside from that I've watched a few films with the kids though um, and um, I found some DVDs in my um, in the garage kind of where I found E.T. a couple of weeks back <laughs> and so we watched um, any that we found were applicable um, Jesse Bradford starring in Clockstoppers which is a 2004 time pause movie yeah. He's got the big fat um, watch. He's got a big fat watch, hasn't he? He's got a big fat, yeah. It yeah. looks like a G-Shock and he <laughs> presses it and it stops time. They didn't use, I mean, the gimmick was ace, but they did it like once half decent in the whole film. Um, and there is some really <laughs> offensive stereotyping going on in that film as well. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's really ugly, actually. Um <laughs> And uh, no amount of pausing time will make it any more palatable. <laughs> um, the next night, though, we watched Journey 2, uh, The Mysterious Island, um, as in the number two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, with The Rock. Oh, um, yeah. And whereas the kids gave um, Clockstoppers a, a non-average Rotten Tomatoes metric in our house of four stars out of ten, um, they gave Journey 2 nine out of ten. Oh, wow. They said it was really, really good, loads of fun. Wow. And it actually is. It is really fun. Um, the last thing we watched, though, was um, a game changer for us as a family, and it came from a James Stewart uh, recommendation. Ooh. Oh, right, okay. We watched the 1933 Kong movie. Oh, wow. Um, and the kids flipping loved it. Did they? they? Amazing. Loved That's well good. They loved, like, uh, like my three-year-old, you know, was like, look, he's eating them. He's eating them. <laughs> and on screen, you know, you've got comes eating them. Um, and, we, you know, we said that, like, yes, in, in parts it's dated pretty badly in terms of attitudes. Um, but actually, in storytelling, you were right. It is rad. When you get to 40 <laughs> minutes in, it is wall-to-wall -wall action it's and non-stop people are getting murdered <laughs> like the bit with the log and Kong's like 
out and tips the log over and the people fall down and the dummies fall and they bounce <laughs> and they land. It's horrendous, you know. But um, full marks from me. Absolutely loved it. Reminded me why I love creature movies because I saw that when I was very little yeah. and it yeah. scared the hell out of me. But absolutely loved it. Yeah. So uh, super. Is that on iPlayer? Because I know it's it yeah. loads of classic oh, is it? films on iPlayer, yeah, yeah. isn't there? Is there's, it? There's loads um, yes. of them. Yeah. That and Citizen Kane and a number of other RKO ones are on the iPlayer. Yeah. Oh, I need nice. to go through those. I didn't know because I've got it on um, standard def. Um, and I was thinking, like, oh, I'd love the, a Blu ray of Kong. Um, and then I looked and it was like $17.99. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> it's going to leave that over there. So um, I, t- I take it the kids are very excited for Godzilla versus Kong. Cause oh my god, it looks so fucking good! I, I can't know. wait for that. <gasps> How good is that? Uh, Godzilla nineteen ninety seven inspired um, needle rap rock song, uh, needle drop rap rock song that they put in the middle of the trailer. <laughs> Do you remember when they started with this Godzilla? universe that it was going to be super serious and we're making movies that are about nuclear proliferation and blah 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 now it's just a big <laughs> lizard fighting a big fucking it's, monkey yeah. with a rap rock <laughs> yeah I mean um, is Millie wait. Bobby Brown's in that movie isn't she yeah because yeah. she was in the last Godzilla film yeah she's yeah. in like one shot of the trailer like oh yeah that yeah. person's in this oh yeah and it, it happens all the way through like oh yeah that person's here Coach Taylor's in it from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Chandler. Yeah. So in, in the last, in uh, Gods of the King of Monsters, which I actually quite liked, which got an absolute pan in critically and everywhere, everyone hated it. I really liked it. But it's like 80% of that movie is Kyle Chandler just looking sad in the rain. So if you like that, then you're going to love Godzilla King well, of Monsters. <laughs> it, it just so happens I do like that. <laughs> um, they, they use quite an unflattering... Um, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go there, actually. <laughs> Don't you dare be dissing uh, Kyle Chandler. No, I'm not. He had um, when he ran towards the, you know, the shot they used of him in the trailer is where his he, he looks a little more um, rotund. Uh, yes, than, than <laughs> yeah, he used to. Um, Man of a certain age. <laughs> well, yes, he jolly well is. But what a lovely man, and he's lovely. He's got. He's from the yeah. The Larry Miller school of how to look like as a person, which is <laughs> nice. He is. is no, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. He's got those little eyes, hasn't he? Those little tiny it's just, eyes. just lovely tiny, tiny eyes. <laughs> like two little butter beans. <laughs> that was a very niche um, Reeves and Mortimer joke for you there. <laughs> Um, well, t- tonight's movie came along as a James Stewart suggestion. It is. And, it, yeah, it, it prompted a um, debate internally in our little group WhatsAppy chat thing, which prompted a question, James. Yes, it did, yes. Yeah. So uh, tonight's film is directed by Peter Jackson, who is one of the most well-known directors on the planet. And the question is simply, what are your favourite forgotten films from A-list directors? So not necessarily bad films, just ones that are within their filmography before they either hit it big or just ones that aren't celebrated or talked about as much. Yeah, I found this really hard because um, the actors, the directors sorry, that I'd like to celebrate aren't A-list. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> So that's quite, oh, quite uh, harder than I expected. <laughs> no, because no, like, I'm, no, I'm gonna. I'll start the debate with saying something that I've always found pretty insane, which is um, Antoine Fuqua directing the King Arthur movie. 
Did he? <laughs> I don't, what, the, the Clive yeah. Owen? Was like, I didn't know that was him. It was a training day to that a few years. I don't understand. <laughs> I did not know I that. Do, how did someone, some exec somewhere watch training day like, tell you what, this would be brilliant for King Arthur. <laughs> he did the Magnificent Seven remake as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Which, yeah, I, yeah. again, I quite liked. I thought it was jolly good fun. It was fun. okay, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, it was quite good fun, that. Wow. I didn't know he, <laughs> didn't know he did King Arthur, though. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean... I, I again, I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm literally, I'm struggling here because when you think of all the big A-list guys um, and gals, you sort of, you know the back catalogue, kind of, and there's nothing. The one that really stood out for me was tonight's film, <laughs> so I can't say that because that's like when you look at the tonight's film and the star, um, and as we'll go into this, I've got really strong opinions on this one. It's, a, it's, it's mad that this tonight's film isn't more well known. It's mad. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I sort of hit this mental block with this and find, like, funnier suggestions more interesting. <laughs> yeah, go for <laughs> it. More, more applicable. <laughs> no, no, no. What about you, Si? Uh, I, had a, I had a few. The reason why I found this hard was, like, what would be determined as a sort of not well-known film? Because, mm. like, if you're going to go A-list directors, Spielberg, like, straight away. And I watched one not long ago. Um, it, but it's a recent film of his, so I don't think it would be classed as this sort of forgotten movie. But Bridge of Spies, I watched the other day, and it's brilliant. It's yeah, it's superb, fantastic mm. movie. And it always, you know, you watch a film like that. What Spielberg can he can do the family stuff, he can do the adventure stuff, he can do serious films as well, really fucking well. And all these young knobheads claiming he's overrated. It's like, I'll oh, piss off. <laughs> watch, oh, yeah, watch no, Bridge of Spies. Watch Schindler's List. I get, you know, it, it's probably bad. But the big, the big Spielberg one for me is The Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, that's. I that's so... think that is a brilliant movie, and it was like a new version of Indiana Jones, really, like. Um, just a CGI version of Indiana Jones. I know Tintin is mm. age old and, you know, the character's really old, but as a film, it was just this rip-roaring, funny, brilliant adventure flick. And I just thought it was amazing. And they yeah. had this trilogy lined up with uh, Edgar Wright involved and Peter, well, Jackson, Peter Jackson was involved. Yeah, Did he Peter write Jackson, he... Peter Jackson produced the first one. He was supposed to direct a sequel and they've just not yeah. got around to it for whatever but, reason. And because, they, because they apparently failed. I, I love Tintin. I, I'd love to see another one of those. Um, that was such a great movie. Oh, I love Tintin movie. Yeah, it was really good. But then other ones, again, I'm, I, I'm not sure if these would class as unknown. Prisoners by T- Dennis Villanueva. Um, <laughs> Prisoners is brilliant. He's got. So, he, he seems to get better with every film, but Prisoners was, I think, was his second American English language film. Yeah, and it's just that blew me away when I first saw that. I just caught it off guard, like randomly on Amazon, and just completely blew me away. Enemy by Danny Villa Nueve. <laughs> I'm just going to. That's just his name now. Dennis um, Villa Nueve. <laughs> Enemy, which which is also a Jill and Hall Villa Nueve joint, uh, is incredible as yeah, well. Really. <laughs> um, but then I, I guess more sort of more on this forgotten sort of unknown movie thing would be Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing by the Coens. I went through a massive. Coen Brothers phase when I was at uni and just bought everything they ever made yeah. and just completely rinsed them all from like Blood Simple onwards. And Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing were like my top two 
Coen Brothers films. Maybe in America they may be more well known, but certainly over here they would be regarded as like the lesser known of yeah. the Coen Brothers films. Um, them to Barton Fink in particular is so off its head. It's really bloody good. Got that on my list for this year, Simon, because it's one of the Coen Brothers that I haven't seen actually. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, and yeah, there's just. Yeah, you could go Lost Highway by David Lynch. Would that be a forgotten movie? I don't, are all David Lynch's films forgotten movies? I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But there's yeah. A, yeah, it's a very big, it's a very wide lake to fish in this one, I think. It's oh, a, yeah. It really is, one. yeah. And that, that was uh, borne out by some of the listener responses we got. So we threw this up on the mm. Twitter, uh, FYR Film Pod. And we got some great responses. So uh, Ian Killick came back with a Martin Scorsese film, which I've never seen, called After Hours, mm. which I believe is a comedy. Uh, I want to check that out. He says it's his best film. I haven't seen wow. it, so I nice. can't say. Not that, yeah. Nice. Um, this guy, uh, Thomas John Pickup, he sounds cool, uh, also put forward... <laughs> Uh, Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear I would also throw in as well Scorsese's Colour of Money which is a pool shark movie starring Paul Newman and Tom yeah. Cruise Tom which Cruise, is just yeah. incredible yeah, yeah. Uh, an unsung one from his back catalogue I didn't know that was Scorsese either actually wow. yeah because re- wasn't Paul Newman in one like yeah. Paul Newman was in a pool shark one years ago, wasn't he? It's like, a yeah, sequel to that movie. It's a it sequel is, to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. This, and this one's got the cruise in it. Is that, is yeah, that, yeah. That, Young Tom yeah. Cruise. It's like nineteen eighty five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just while you're on Scorsese, I find it really um underrated and forgotten that he directed uh, Michael Jackson's bad video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love yeah. the black and white photos where it's just him so in his mad. chair, slouched in his chair with yeah, like all yeah. the dancers and stuff. <laughs> what did they chat about between takes? <laughs> it must have been insane. <laughs> but he only directs gangster films. Fuck off. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, that video was um, bettered by Weird Al Yankovic's fat video. <laughs> Only a few years later. That was very good, though. Uh, We had a couple of Spike Lee shout-outs as well from his back catalogue. So uh, TV's Travis. uh, This one doesn't get talked about enough, and he was talking about Inside Man, a fantastic film with Denzel Washington. I I love that film. It could have been so a run-of-the-mill heist movie, but Spike Lee turned it into something else and just made it give it a bit more nuance. I I love that film. I thought it was really good. It's Mm. really, really good. Uh, LJ Human also sh- uh, shouts out a Spike Lee movie, uh, Clockers with Harvey Keitel, Delroy Lindo of this parish, mm, um, which is a cr- inner city crime movie, which is really, Sesame really good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that guy, Sai, as well, shouts out pod favourite Tony Scott's Revenge, which is uh, a Kevin Costner Ooh. movie from the late 80s. Whoa! Is, oh, I've never what? heard of that. Wow. Yeah, Whoa. Just, where can, where can a person watch that? Yeah, it's it's really not spoken about much, uh, but it's very good. I've seen it before. It's really, really good. Nice. Uh, and f- finally, Billy Barr shouts out Michael Douglas in Black Rain, directed by Ridley Scott, <gasps> which has been oh, put forward for a suggestion on this pod a number of times. Yes, yeah. This has been, but the problem, the reason we haven't done it thus far is none of us have seen it. I don't think. And then, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. Whenever it gets on the on the polls for the for the listener request show, no one knows what it is, so they, they <laughs> yeah, never no vote for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, one just to slightly go off on um, Michael Douglas. Um, 
Finches the game would be another pick for me in my yes. little list. Here. Oh yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not, never really good. mentioned, but it's very, very good. It's very good. And uh, we also had uh, a shout out from uh, Darren Lucas as well, who put forward Starman by uh, directed by John Carpenter, Whoa. which is a lovely film about Jeff Bridges as an alien falling in love with Karen Allen as every leading man in the eighties did. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> writes itself these 80s movies yeah lovely it is a good film lovely. actually Starman I'd completely forgotten that John Carpenter directed that uh, yeah I totally <laughs> d- yeah didn't realise that either. yeah I didn't even know he did <laughs> uh, he hosts a film podcast um, <laughs> so uh, James would you like to um, off the back of that lovely discussion lead us into tonight's film yes so Despite all of Doc Brown's time travel-based meddling, Marty McFly did not grow up to be a successful rock star. Instead, (laughs) he moved to a part of America that definitely doesn't look like New Zealand to become a paranormal con man in Peter Jackson's horror comedy, The Frighteners. (laughs) It's so obviously New Zealand. There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh my god, I don't believe this is not happening! We have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but it's not gonna be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, in or out, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you can see spirits? Emanations are normally confined to the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now, some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And sent the dead running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're going to pin them on you. From Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. And the claimed director, Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, you dig? The Frighteners. James, The Frighteners. Peter Jackson, Michael J. Fox. Uh Tell me, why did you pick this film? So, two reasons, really. I think this film sort of epitomises why we do the pod in the first place, because so much work and technical craft has gone into this movie. It's made by a top, top director. Granted, he he didn't have the reputation that he has now at the time, but he's still a top-level director, and it's just been completely forgotten. Like it's not on any streamers or anything like that. We we all watched it. Or uh, it was on the horror channel in the UK at the end of uh, at the end of January. But it's not on. You can rent it, but it's no. It's never streaming on Netflix or anything like that. And you know, it's a big star from the eighties and nineties. Big director, 
but a lot of special effects, a lot of craft has gone into making the film and just nobody ever talks about it at all. And also as well, just to sort of explore my relationship with Peter Jackson as a filmmaker is that I rate him as one of the top big budget filmmakers, but probably the work that he's most famous for, I don't really jive with, but I still consider him to be a a top tier director and always look forward to whatever he's putting out, which is weird. You know, uh, uh, not that the Lord of the Rings movies are badly made or anything like that. They're just not my genre you know, it's not, and, and they're super long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, every time he's got a movie coming out, I'm always interested in what he's doing because I think he's a, a, a real maverick filmmaker. He's self-taught. He started off making DIY horror movies where he was making the practical effects in his mum's kitchen. And then he just he just got a little bit of money, with uh, a little bit more money with every single project and then became one of the world's top filmmakers and uh he seems like a nice bloke as well and i just really rate this film and i thought it was worth it was definitely time for people to take another look at it i think that's yeah that's a bar and in smashed out the park there james i think and that when you said that i didn't think about that before that it was it's Perfect for this podcast in that sense. Yeah. When was the first time you watched it? I think I remember we had uh, Sky back in the nineties, and we had the movie channels. And, you know, only had like three channels back then. And I remember watching a featurette on it. They used to do this in between, like it'd yeah. be the Saturday night premiere, and they had a featurette on it. And I always liked Michael J. Fox as well. And back in the day, if the movie wasn't for you, so it wasn't in your it wasn't in your age bracket. So this came out in 96. I will have been 11 or 12. So it wasn't aimed at me because it's a 15 or uh, here in the UK. Mm. You didn't know about it. So it was like this Michael J. Fox film that I'd never heard of before. And they were doing a feature out on it about how, uh, about all the visual effects and how spooky and scary it was. And I sort of like all those films from the mid nineties, you know, like, you know, Tim Burton in the mid nineties, which I think this has a real feel of, Casper, it has a real feel of, you know, those sort of spooky, horror-tinged movies, which was a genre I was very much interested in. So I watched it on Sky Movies when I was about 13 or 14, whenever it actually came to to cable TV, and just remembered really enjoying it, and it was time for me to revisit it, really. Nice. Uh, I'm finding this hard to talk about a little bit, because I was really blown away. Um, so when I think about, you know, when you talk about all that, I kind of get swept up in what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so forgive the pause there. Si, what about you? When did you um, first come into contact with Peter Jackson's The Frighteners? Yeah, quite similar to James, really. Like when I was younger, so like 10, 11, 12, my mum was sort of a part-time job and looked after me and my brother while my dad like did all the hours at work. Um, and he did a lot of lights. So my mum, my brother and and me would often have movie nights on a Friday and we didn't have Sky um, or anything like that but <clears throat> we'd go to the video shop get a video and then sit down on a Friday night and watch it the three of us and this was one of the films we watched um, and I remember it really vividly the, the the two what really stick out was this and Scream they were the two, oh, <laughs> I mean, wow. what, as a 12 13 year old to watch Scream but it was, it was fun um, I remember after, at the end of Scream as soon as the credits rolled someone knocked at the door and we all absolutely shot it <laughs> Oh, no, honestly. Hmm. But yeah, this was this was one of those films. And the reason we chose it was 
because Michael J. Fox was on the on the box. Like, yep. Being a child born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties, you just love Michael J. Fox, don't you? Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, and we just watch anything with anything with him in it, including Doc Hollywood. I remember going to the <laughs> cinema to watch Doc Hollywood and be like. This isn't like Back to the Future. <laughs> I don't. <yeah. laughs> um, I, I remember the three of us just watching it and just really loving it. So yeah, it was a. I was looking forward to watching it again. Definitely nice. Um, for myself, I was aware of it um, and have been right the way through since arguably when it came out. Um, it never really hit me in terms of I need to go to the cinema to watch that because I don't think I was old enough. It's 96, isn't it? Yeah, 96, yeah. Yeah, so I will have been 13, wouldn't have been able to go to the cinema to see it, but I was only vaguely aware of it. I certainly had no hint of imagery from it. You know, usually when you think of a film, you think of the yeah, trailer yeah. and the imagery and you go like, oh my God, you know, that's stuck in my uh, in my teeth, you know, like just how much I want to go and see that and, and enjoy that world and whatever. And I didn't see any of that. I di- didn't really have an idea of anything about this film. I was just, it's just because of being a film fan growing up when Peter Jackson was making massive waves with Lord of the Rings movies, just before we went to film school, was I aware of his, his back catalogue? And there was this movie in there called The Frightness. I don't think it's going to be a secret to, <laughs> to reveal that the marketing of this film is to blame killed it killed absolutely. it completely yeah. yeah the studio suits killed it made it dead on arrival absolutely uh, well because uh, so much so that it's taken me till 2021 to watch this <laughs> so this was the so first this was watch. the first time watch wow yeah yeah, yeah well you yeah, knew yeah. of it you just never knew of it i just didn't know anything about it at yeah. all i just knew that there was a um a peter jackson michael j fox movie which must be very interesting but i didn't know <laughs> anything about it the poster tells you nothing that one with the face smiling through a shroud no, or whatever, po- no really poster is, is it's got one of the worst honestly, taglines i've ever seen on a poster it just says dead yet yeah it, it's the question mark honestly, it's the, like the most, what is I'm, that if i could be so bold as to put it on front street like using a, a, a phrase, James, like, I'll put this on front street. The marketing department failed this film astronomically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll save everything from there. But so I just didn't know this was there at all. And then, like, now I watch it, you know, a couple of nights ago on the Horror Channel for the first time. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Does it have um, breaks on the Horror Channel? Did it? Uh, did it, it did. Yeah, it did. But it, 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 <laughs> it, it did, and it was also in standard. Death. Yeah, they're I mean, not a HD channel. Yeah, they're quite <laughs> independent. I think. Lovely, oh. but I think that's the way to watch this movie no, it because is, yeah, I, I got no. It's quite schlocky. It's quite schlocky and it's quite CG heavy, which is it's still quite early days for CG heavy it movies. Yeah, Ninety six, yeah. particularly yeah. at this budget level as well. Which will well, get into the budget. I, mean, I was reading that they had one computer. Yeah, it, it was basically the the where we a digital just went Billy Big Bollocks after this. This was the film that made them go big. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Because uh, the way Jackson tells it is that they made this film and they had all this equipment left, and he's like, uh, "Right, well, what do we do?" <laughs> 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 well, and I, know, like, I know what they wanted to do. Sorry, basically, Sorry, because James. I can never understand this thinking. This is just what. 
you know geniuses do he just goes right who's got the who's got the rights to lord of the rings that was his first thought it's so it's like i've got all these special effects i've got this visual effects company now i need to make a movie to make this worthwhile who's got the rights to lord of the rings <laughs> and, and what the jump they made in the five years was it five years 2001 yeah, yeah. yeah. the jump i mean it's ridiculous <laughs> you know you talk of like um like pioneers of of like this age of CGI, Jurassic Park's obviously the big one. Yeah. This is only what two years after? Yeah, two or three years after. Two yeah. or three years yeah. after Jurassic Park. This should be in that conversation, really. Well, it should be. To, and it would be what it does. Yeah. I bet it has more effect shots than than Jurassic Park. Oh, hundred percent it does. Because oh, all of the all of the all of the ghost effects and and what have you, yeah. there's a lot going on. It yeah. Does. And it's made for half the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 insane. Um, just as a little side issue, um, Peter Jackson was courted um, by um, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli for. I saw this, yeah. Yeah, for doing the James Bond World is Not Enough movie. And they really liked what he'd done with Heavenly Creatures. So they organised a screening of The Frighteners for Barbara Broccoli. Um, she did not like that. <laughs> they went to different just showed direction. a bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> just show a bad taste and then see how that goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine she walked out of this uh, that screen and went, well, he's not going to do what he's told. Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he was like, what do I do? Well, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating that. So there's like, there's in an alternate uni- universe, there's um, a day where Barbara Broccoli wasn't so I don't know now reminded him about the frighteners and Peter Jackson directed a Bond movie yeah incredible it's mad uh, but anyway um, James does it qualify um, numerically yeah so there's a bit of a story behind the box office so the intended release date for this film was going to be October 1996 okay but uh, so you know you don't have to put a horror film out in October but this is quite, I think this is quite a light horror film. So it's going for a mass market. You know, it's not super scary. Definitely. So October mm. is a good time to put it out. But some dopey exec at Universal saw a rough cut and went, oh, that's a great movie. Fair enough, that's a great movie. We're going to put it in our summer blockbuster tentpole oh. place. And that absolutely killed it because it came out in July. It was up against, do you know what it was up against that summer? No, it's Independence Day or something. Independence Day, yeah. And they released it on the opening day of the 1996 Olympics Olympic as well. Fucking hell. That was yeah. in America. Yes, Atlanta. yeah, Atlanta, yeah. So Jackson commented that he was disappointed by Universal's ubiquitous it marketing was. campaign. Uh, including a poster which didn't tell you anything about the picture. Additionally, the film opened on the same day the Atlanta Summer Olympics began. When Jackson realised this and told the studio, they answered, we don't think so. Our research indicates that's not the case. It's like it's, a fun, it's an absolute fact. Computer so, says no. Our research. Jesus. Turn the telly on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the opening ceremony for that. I mean, should we find it now? Should we live Google? Do you want to? Um, so, While well, you do that, anyway, Rob. So, uh, so the budget for this uh, production budget is about twenty-six to thirty million dollars, depending on where you check. 
and worldwide it only grossed $29 million. So once you factor in marketing costs and what have the you... The waste of money on marketing. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which probably cost a, a, a fair few million. Yeah, it's a, Yeah, it's a box office disappointment. And then the was it? What's the American? Is it the MPAA? The their equivalent? Yeah, yeah. UFC. Yeah. They give it an R rating, didn't they? And yeah. That would have contributed to how shit it did. Because for me, this is a whimsical spook fest. It's not a horror film. Yeah. yeah. It should. This should be going for the teen market. It should be. Yeah. Looking for a, a spooky film to watch on Halloween, but they can't get in to watch. Your Friday yeah. the thirteenth and your Halloweens and your yeah um, that that's Nightmare a great on Elm point, Streets. It's a like, brilliant market to attack that. Yeah, when it when it comes to Halloween, who loves Halloween? Teenagers like it's like in give books, them a you film know, like, to go and watch. You, yeah, yeah, you're not after your Goosebumps. You're not after your Stephen King's Point Horror. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is yeah. your Point Horror crowd, isn't it? Um, incidentally, it was um, thirty-nine point seven million million viewers tuned in to watch the Summer Olympics <laughs> in Atlanta opening ceremony. Um, which is the greatest of any summer games. <laughs> <laughs> There's your research, Universal. You fucked us. <laughs> this is, yeah. <laughs> Whoever made this decision to change it from Halloween to summer during an Olympic year where the Olympics was in fucking America, <laughs> it's just like, what? What's, you may as well take that 26 million and just throw it down the fucking toilet it's ridiculous he's he's mental who made that decision and who signed off on that decision it better not have been bob zemeckis it wasn't it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) uh, zemeckis is you know he's so zemeckis is a is an executive producer on this film and he's released a picture or two (laughs) (laughs) he won't him and jackson were both lobbying for you know an autumn release date because oh, yeah. they, yes. you know, they know what they're doing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they. I, I don't know what the thinking is. Why you would put, you know, this film is. It's not low budget, but it's not a mega budget blockbuster either. At the same time, to put it up against all the summer movies. I know blockbuster season's different now to what it was back then, but there were still huge movies that would come out in the in June and July. Independence Day was was just unstoppable for a month. For, for yeah. six weeks, everyone was so hyped for that movie. This was always going to get crushed. Yeah, yeah. The c- cinema was packed for Independence Day in the UK. So God knows yeah. what it was like in America. Yeah. Is this the angriest we've ever been? <laughs> um, I am furious. I, I, I am furious on behalf of that. I just can't believe. It. I'd be pissed off with the MPAA as well, really, because that yeah. again makes it dead on arrival. And there's nothing in there which makes it. Deserving of a R rating. No, there's no, I, I have to say there's the, no the, sex in it. No, the horror the, the horror channel had it as an eighteen. Yeah, it's, yeah, this, it's not an eighteen. It's crazy. It's, I think it's yeah. they've miscategorized that because it's I'm certain it's a fifteen. Because I watched it when I was about thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. I think in fairness to the MPAA, I I don't think it's particularly warrants the R rating, apart from a few additional things that Jackson put in once he realized he Out wasn't gonna get PG thirteen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think once you start invoking serial killers within the mythology, True. then it takes it away from that. Because, you know, in America, it's different. You can take a kid of any age in 
um, to a PG-13 as long as they're with someone who's yes. older than that. I wouldn't want to have to, have to explain a serial killer to a six-year-old. <laughs> no, no, and that's that's the problem with their that that rating system, isn't it? Really, and historically, it's been a problem. You yeah. can't just jump from PG thirteen to R. Yeah, it's an absurd age jump. It's so weird. But yeah, as I say, I watched this film when I was twelve, thirteen years old with my mum and brother, and had a great time. I, yeah, I, yeah. Like, and that's it was the market a perfect for this, movie for for, yeah. for for me as that age, especially with. Danny Elfman's lovely bouncy score. It's oh just like, yeah, proper softens oh, no. it all. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, softens all that serial killer stuff. <laughs> didn't actually, yeah. didn't actually take that. But, but James, you make a very good point. If you <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Like, to be honest, magic. before I was a father, that wouldn't have even crossed my mind. But I was like, <laughs> if I was to show this to my to my son, I, not now, obviously he's only three. But um, it, you know, in like ten years' time, if I was to show this to him, I, he'd need to know the concept of what a serial. I'm not <laughs> explaining him serial murder to him when he's seven. You know, <laughs> I, I, my ten year old came downstairs while I was watching it, and um, she said, like, and I paused it immediately. And she said, like, and it was on Michael J. Fox. She was like, oh, it's Martin McFly. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. And um, she said, uh, you know, is this a good movie? Can I watch it? Like, not really. And then I'm thinking, like, how much of it can she not see at 10? Yeah. And it's really a handful of shots that are a bit much. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the, like, the grisliness is cartoonish. Yeah. Um, um, And it, yeah, it's just that phrase, serial killer, (laughs) that rankles a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, so um, we know it qualifies m- numerically uh, on the numbers, but Sai, how did the critical fraternity take to it? Well, it was it was quite mixed reviews for Peter Jackson's first American studio movie, and yeah, the critics were a bit all over the place, really, um, making up for a sixty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a fifty two on Metacritic. On release, it wasn't hugely popular with the US press at all, and it took a bit of a kick in from. Um, Roger Ebert, the famed Roger Ebert, um, who gave it one star and felt it was all style over substance and said... Oh, Ebs. Um, yeah, he said, anyone who appreciates special effects, computer animation or movie makeup will regard this movie with awe. But all of that incredible effort has resulted in a film that looks more like a demo reel than a movie, like the kind of audition tape a special effects expert would put together, hoping to impress a producer enough to give him a real job. <laughs> Oh um, no! Eves did not like it, and then on his TV program, uh, he went on to give it two thumbs down after his paper review. Um, it fared better in the UK. Total Film and Empire both give it four out of five. Nice, um, heaping praise on the slickness of it and all the ghostly fun to be had. Audience-wise, though, it's like it. Audience, it seems to be much better received than, than critically. It's on 71 on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.4 on Metacritic, and a really solid 3.4 on Letterboxd. I think a lot of those scores come from later views, though. I don't think it was... Obviously not at the time. Those things weren't yeah. around at the time. But I do think it's like a, a hindsight sort of thing, which has kind of pushed the scores up a bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a mixed bag. Interesting. Both critically and audience, I think. I've got some uh, Twitter ones as well, if I can shout those out Ooh, as well. Please do, mate. Please do. The Manilorian, one of my favourite movies to come out of the 90s. Uh, DVD Mike, this is his last good film for me. It was all downhill from here. <laughs> oh, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Jamie Russell says it's a really enjoyable horror comedy romp. Lots of energy, visceral style, and imagination throughout. Uh, Kevin the Critic, I love the mixing of horror, comedy, and thriller genres, and think it's Michael J. Fox's best performance. I I agree, actually. I it's very agree good. With that. Yeah. And uh, uh, Adam uh, at what Adam uh, really liked it. Saw it in theatre. Huge fan of Jake Busey, Chai McBride, and Michael J. Fox. But Jeffrey Coombs' character is who really scared me. <laughs> and uh, our buddies from Down Under, uh, the Movie Journey podcast, said it is a super underrated and great film. I agree. Oh, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> I do wonder what like folks from that part of the world think of Peter Jackson, and you know, do we appreciate him enough in the West? Do you know what I mean? Like, in, mm. yeah, I mean, he's like a he's like a whole film industry to himself, isn't he? In New Zealand, yeah. Like he creates hundreds and hundreds of jobs when he sets up a production down there. They must fucking love him in New Zealand, like the tourist board. <laughs> 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 so, right, I suppose we should really dive into the movie at this point, shouldn't we? Uh, the movie, I'm going to use your phrase again, Front Street, James, uh, intentions are right there. Creepy music, rain and horror imagery is how we open yeah. this picture. Gothic houses, thunder, lightning, uh, yeah. Danny Elfman score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all there, and I didn't find this hard to get into at all. No, it put it's it's fantastic, is it? And I was like watching this, I was like, oh, this score's very Danny Elfman, and then it turned out it actually was Danny yeah, Elfman. Score like Danny Elfman. That'll be why then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's a scene in the film. There may be one bit in the restaurant later on. It it's like constantly scored this film there's music yeah, the yeah it is isn't it actually yeah he must have been working double time danny elfman he scored the well, shit out of this movie <laughs> it seems to me that uh heavenly creatures um the the film prior to this which um jackson and from walsh both got an oscar nom for for their screenplay sort of wrote jackson's ticket for this movie because Danny Elfman was so impressed with that movie that he was like, he signed on to compose this before he even knew what it was about. Oh, wow. Michael J. Fox, as soon as he found out, he got the call from Zemeckis and said, Oh, the guy who directed Heavenly Creatures is directing this. He's like, Right, I'm in straight away. So he was no really way. on a high. It's great, isn't it? Because it's this is the transitional part of his career, isn't he? Where he's gone from a, a cult movie director, he's had some success. Uh, he discovered Kate Winslet, for God's sake, right? Got an Oscar nom yeah. and then went up to a bigger budget level, like the biggest that he'd had before. And then within five years, he's the biggest filmmaker in the world. It's yeah. uh, that's it's incredible, that really. Absolutely insane. And that's how it used to work. Yes. That's how it used to work. You would start out as an independent filmmaker and each project would get incrementally bigger. You'd get more credit. You wouldn't just make a independent film and then, I don't know, get given a massive IP. Colin Trevorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not naming any names, like, but that's how it was supposed to be. So that you be, could, could become a better filmmaker because you were moving Absolutely. up the levels at your own speed and you were developing. Mm. And then when you actually got to the big budget levels, you were like, I know what I'm doing. I don't need producer oversight. I don't need you to tell me what I do. I made all my mistakes on my on my lower budget films and learn the hard way that way. And that's how it used to be done. And that's how it should still be done, in my in my opinion. I wonder if it was Peter Jackson's idea to release Lord of the Rings at Christmas. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. He was like, a studio exec, no, we should release these in summer. And he'd go, no, fuck off. 
This happened yeah. on the last film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's up to me when it gets released, not you, you fuckers. This is what's yes. going to happen. And then it become massively successful because it was released at a good time. And because Lord of the Rings effectively invented that Christmas, yes, cinema yeah, Christmas thing, blockbuster, yeah, massive, yeah, yeah. It was a huge. That, that movie. You know, the the year after, um, Gangs of New York came out at Christmas. Yeah, you know, and I, then all, I, I and then all the Harry added... Potters came out yeah. at Christmas after that. Yeah, yeah. Which would which would normally be summer blockbusters, but um, yeah. Oh, if only I could speak to Pete Jackson and ask him, did you decide? The Christmas yeah. release window because I, mean, I really let's hope try it was. And get and you can <laughs> shove a stick up a studio suit's arm. Um, <laughs> um, well, it's it, uh, immediately you're faced with the fact that um, there's so much directorial invention on display here. Yeah, he's loving it, isn't it? This is he's it's clearly a whale of a time. It's clearly the first time he's had like the budget level to do everything that he wants to do. And yeah. this opening sequence is so good. He's whipping the camera all over the place. Yeah, the great, CG ghosts running up the wall, isn't there? Yeah, but it's a bit like... Poor when, D. Wallace some... from, D. Wallace from E.T. is getting strangled by oh, a ghost. I know. <laughs> E.T.'s mama's got it going on. Sorry, no, that's that suggests I find her. Uh, anyway, um, so, yeah... Uh, it reminded me of Sam Ra- <laughs> Don't laugh, dude. It reminded me of Sam Raimi. Um, it did. Yeah. When he first yeah. get got his big budget injection, you know. Um, and yeah, of course, we're back to... Welcome back to the podcast, D. Wallace Stone, E.T.'s mum, who was also in another FYR movie. What, what was she on? You'll, you'll have to shout it out for me, Rob. I'm right. drawing a blank. You're going to love this. She was the farmer's wife in the opening scene of Abominable. Of course she was. Wow. <laughs> E.T.'s mom has got going on. Yep, you got it. Superb. superb. We're back. <laughs> I love, like, like, out of all the films, Abominable is the it could, I know, of all the things, you know, it could be. It's this one. You know, so underrated that she's worked with Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg. What did yeah. Steven Spielberg direct Abominable? <laughs> <laughs> I can't express how much money I would part with to see that. I don't even. I don't want to speculate. Just, just having that, he did it under a, like a pseudonym. Just like, like, he just really wanted to work with Lance Henriksen, and all he does is make Bigfoot movies. <laughs> oh dear. Um, there's some brilliant recreation footage going on here. Of um, I've, I've, no, sorry, I've jumped. Sorry, forgive me. I've jumped a little bit. Yeah, so this is like the cold open, isn't it? Because then it is. Yeah, sorry. So Dee Wallace is running around the house. She's been terrorized by a ghost. She lives with a what we believe, what we're led to believe, is a crazy and possibly abusive mother. Mm. She ends up getting strangled by the carpet, which the ghost is inside. <laughs> And then her mum comes out with a shotgun and blows the carpet-headed ghost's head off, basically. And then it and then the titles come up, the Frighteners, and it's just a great cold open, isn't it? It's just absolutely fantastic. But it's, it's just so much fun, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it's just a great tone setter. You get the music, you get the cinematography, and the tone is so clear as well. It's like, yeah, it's quite full on, like the ghost, the way the ghost is attacking Dee Wallace, but it's like. But it is fun and energetic as well, and it's not too—it's not too scary. It's just more like oh, things that go. It's more like the tone is things that go bump in the night, and is aren't we all having such a great time? Basically, yeah, I think yeah, possibly exactly. the, the expression might be pleasing. 
Yes, I would it's very pleasing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, we get. The, I mean, I, I'm aware that we need to crack on with this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the the movie centres really around um, Johnny Bartlett, who is a bad egg who's yeah. killed a bunch of people at a. Um, uh, well, a uh, uh, psychiatric institution is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and uh, in doing so, um, he has created. Um, well, he's gone down as one of the most prolific serial killers in in the area's history, the area of New Zealand. <laughs> 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 uh, and um, this is where the film begins to soar for me. Is when we get introduced to um, Fox's character. Yeah, and what he's doing, and and the central conceit is is a genius one. He um, was involved in an accident, and yeah. because of that, he his proximity to death has opened up this sort of sensory perception in him, yeah. where he can see dead people. So, like anyone who that might happen to, he's roped a few ghosts into <laughs> a con scam. <laughs> so good, <laughs> it's superb because that because everything before I, what I just said is already interesting. Yeah, but then the mythology to this great. point. It's I'm, so good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he he engineers like poltergeist activity <laughs> at people's houses, but they go with his business card and leave it somewhere. <laughs> so when then it, it's it's great. It's, it's great it's because it's it's actually real, and the poltergeist thing is genuine. But he yeah. still has to con people into <laughs> buying his services. Yeah. You know, they are ghosts that are in your house. But there's that brilliant moment where, you know, there's a, a, a couple um, and the characters, um, <laughs> I love them both, to be honest, but um, Trini Alvarado's Lucy and Peter Dobson's Ray yeah. <laughs> are terrorised. And they call uh, Bannister, who is Michael J. Fox. Who, Great um, name for a character, by the way. Yeah, excellent. Frank, Frank Bannister. Bannister. excellent, isn't it? It feels like he was struggling <laughs> to come up, they were struggling to come up with a name and they were just like, uh, oh, Frank, and then they looked up the stairs at home. Bannister, <laughs> we'll change that. <laughs> we'll change that later. Oh, Let's just crack on. We've done <laughs> nothing so far today. <laughs> James, you'd be amazed how often I've done that in my books. Like, in fact, we, we were in a stage production together at Sheffield, like, um, yeah. and someone in it was called Alvin Whirlpool. It's because I was sat on on my grand's um, kitchen floor. Alvin Whirlpool, <laughs> and the and the dishwasher was called had Whirlpool written on the side. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, he's he's Ray, the husband, who's um, more you know he's not going to be flustered by ghosts or anything like that. No, he's stood in the kitchen going, "There must be a logical explanation." While stuff <laughs> hitting him in the head, for and stuff spinning around his cranium, uh, it's great. And uh, but tonally, every actor is on here. They know just what they're doing, what this is. There's no mucking around it. The, the, none of this is played seriously. Yeah, it's super. It's and it's so super. obviously a con as well, isn't it? Because what we've yes. seen earlier is that Michael J. Fox has inadvertently smashed this guy's garden up because yeah. he's driving. Uh, I've just put in my notes, he drives like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> he inadvertently smashes this guy's garden up, doesn't he? So that so he doesn't have to pay for the repairs of the garden, he sends his ghost mates over there to terrorise <laughs> them and then offers to <laughs> just call it even, shall we? <laughs> It's, it's super, and and uh, you know, like um, when a director, you know, I think you know when a director gets free reign 
when there's gags in there, sight gags, um, dialogue gags, stuff like that, where it's it's on the cusp of out there. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is really fun now. And it was when he, when Bannister shows up and he's got a water pistol and he says it's full of holy water. <laughs> it's it's pathetic, like spraying, <laughs> spraying it around the house. And he's doing it so half-assed as well. Just yeah, like, just like, it's just great, it isn't it? It is such a great scene. And um, I was really interested in this scene as well because um, Lucy, the wife, Trini Alvarado, I'd never seen her in anything. No, I haven't. I haven't seen her in anything since, I don't think. Yeah. Um, the last thing she was in was Black Box in 2014, the TV series. She was in Fringe for two episodes and a handful of TV appearances. And that literally is it. And I find it kind of mad in a way because she's good in this. Yeah, she's good, but the film didn't didn't do it, did it? So it wouldn't have put her on the so radar. So there's your casualty from Universal's yeah. mishandling of this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, it's at this point, isn't it? So Michael J. Fox comes in and he's um, and he's going through his he's half arsely going through his uh, exorcist shtick, yeah, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. <laughs> um, and as he's leaving, Ray, her husband, suddenly has a glowing number oh, on yes, his forehead yes. doesn't he because this is mm. when Bartlett killed his victims they carved the number uh, wh- what number that victim was into into their head and he uh, has when he gets back to his house his wife was uh, was killed in an accident wasn't she but when her body was discovered she also had a number had been carved yes. into her yeah. head and he asks his uh, his ghost mates who are played by Shy McBride mm. and uh, Stuart is played by Jim Fife and basically what happens it the way that they set the, what i like about this film is the rules are so clearly defined as well yes. like so when you die there's a tunnel you go up that tunnel or if you don't, you stay here on Earth and you have to wait another year uh, until the tunnel opens up again for you to go. What happens while you're down on Earth is you're made of ectoplasm and you start to degrade with every year that you don't go up there. So they all look really sickly, don't they, these CG ghosts? They have so much fun with these these grisly <laughs> effects. It's, yeah. it, it's great. And again, it's a perfect playground for Weta to to hang out in, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. super. And John Aston, who plays the judge, has been hanging around since the old West, so like his jaws fallen off and it's what have super, you. Isn't it? He's it's... super horny. Like Yeah. <laughs> Rick Baker was drafted in, wasn't he, to do the effects on the judge. Was he? Oh, amazing. And he's played by the dude who was Gomez Adams, wasn't he, in the old <laughs> yeah. Adams family no TV program. Yeah. How good is but that? I just love like because you get the the other two ghosts and they just look a bit ill. But then you get when the judge introduces you, you're like, oh no, this is what happens when you've been a ghost for ages, and you're like, his <laughs> yeah. jaws like hanging off, and it's just really shunky and horrible. And it's, it's just really hag, and, and it's like ghosts can age as well, and it's just really horrible. The design and the thought of into these ghosts and what how these ghosts yeah. are, and as you say, James, how they they still degrade over time. Yeah, it's like this is brilliant. This is so. It's, it's packed so full of great ideas. This film. And really they can is. actually be killed further once they're dead. They could actually be taken <laughs> yeah. out as we find. So there's actual stakes for the ghosts in terms of if they get on the wrong side of uh, the soul collector, as he's known, he looks like the Grim Reaper, who's basically, spoilers, Johnny, uh, Johnny Bartlett. Johnny Bartlett in disguise, who's coming down and carrying on his killing spree from beyond the grave. Um, yeah, they can actually be ripped to pieces as uh, poltergeists, can't they? Mm. 
Can I suggest a possible FYR boomerang here? It's yes, go for it, Rob. Because I really found it hard, this one, actually. Um, so we're not going to share films in this one. We're going to share something a little bit different. But obviously, it's um, Bartlett is played by um, a member of the Boozy clan. It's always good to have a Boozy in there. Give me two! Me <laughs> 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 <Be> boss. <laughs> <laughs> Give me two. <laughs> Jake Boozy Jake Boozy was in The Frighteners. Yeah. And he also shared um at different times the same womb as Gary Boozy, who was in Predator 2. No, Gary Boozy's his dad. Is he his dad? I really hope they didn't share the same womb. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> We retract that information. They did not share. He's not my twin brother. He's my he's my son. Oh gosh, uh, I didn't know that. Are you thinking Gary Gary looks young or Jake looks old? Bit of both. I mean, that's incredible. I'm Either so way, that boomerang's come back and hit you square in the nose, Rob. Oh, it's right in the knackers. Um, what they have shared is, at some point, I'm sure they've shared the same dining table at Thanksgiving. You could have said that Jake Beauty used to live in Gary's balls. <laughs> that would have been accurate. <laughs> oh, my word. I didn't know. Because, like I told you, I don't, I don't do the trivia if I've not seen it. Because I like the... Adventure on the podcast. Well, this is an adventure. <laughs> it's an adventure for all of us. I don't think yeah, we'll be... I'm so sorry. I don't think we'll be getting Jake on the pod anytime soon. Well, I mean, you know, was 25 years ago. Anyway, uh, where are we now? Um, yeah, so the bodies are dropping all over town, aren't they? And uh, with strange heart conditions, because essentially what the soul collector comes, he, 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 he's a ghost, he goes into people's houses, he squeezes their hearts until until they die, essentially. Um, and people are very suspicious of Michael J. Fox because he seems to keep turning up at all <laughs> yeah, the places where people are dying. He doesn't like uh, make it easy for himself because he really rocks up at every single murder scene. And then it's just like a, <laughs> there's one common thing here on all of these murders is that you're here. We can't explain it, but you're here, Marty McFly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously he can see what's going on, isn't it? And he's mm. trying to stop it, but obviously... He's trying to figure it out, the... isn't he? He's trying yeah. to figure it out and stop it, but... Um... Everyone else is no. Everyone thinks he's a fraud, which he is a fraud, mm. but he, he's not actually a fraud. It, it, it's, it's, it's like a fraud in a sort of like a totally different way. It's like it's a fraud, but he's not that kind of fraud. He's not fraudulent yeah. about that. He's not Derek Akora. <laughs> you can't speak ill of the dead. Well, he did. He did. Well, he did a lot, didn't he? <laughs> Honestly, get in but... the word nonsense. <laughs> Don't, don't. That was Clinton Batiste, wasn't it? <laughs> Clinton Batiste. I got, honestly, no, someone sent me a cameo of, of that. Like, yeah, I'm getting, you know, it's you, Rob, isn't it? And I'm getting the word nonce. <laughs> Are you a Bond fan? I mean, really a Bond fan. If you enjoy dreaming of what 1991 and 1993 Tim Dalton films would have looked like, or if you have a degree in Octopussy but still don't know which Fabergé egg is a fake, then the Really 007 podcast is for you. Really 007. We bring an insightful, critical and silly take on the James Bond films. 
We are proudly part of the Pod Dojo Network and are available for free on iTunes and Spotify. We have regular, in-depth reviews of every Bond film, as well as special episodes on different aspects of the series. And some of us are a bit down on the Craig era. Robert. While others are happy to pretend to dislike things just to get cheap laughs. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and join in on the James Bond conversation online. Really, um, And Ray buys the farm. He does. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> he, I forget which number he was exactly, but he was he was definitely numbered by the soul he collector. Was. Ray was 37, James. That's, uh, oh, excellent. Uh, oh, lovely. Excellent. Prolific. Very <laughs> prolific. Yeah, sorry. Kids film. Uh, no, it's not a kids film. <laughs> and then um, uh, we catch up with um, Bannister as he's on the side of the street watching the funeral procession come up for Ray. And he sees Lucy in one of the funeral cars and all that kind of stuff. And um, he goes to the cemetery, which for him must be an absolute nightmare. And it turns out it is because we get a famous Surprises his drill sergeant role so from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the story is behind this? They were like they were going to have this character, and basically they were going to do a spoof version of the Ali Emery character from Full Metal Jacket. And they were like, "Oh, we'll just cast a New Zealand actor." And then whatever happened, they thought they couldn't find the right guy to do it how, exactly how they wanted. He's like, should we just send it to him and see if he'll come down to New Zealand and do this? <laughs> so yeah, he just come down and did the whole drill sergeant bit. And basically he oversees the graveyard and he hates Michael J. Fox's character, doesn't he? Because he's a shyster, essentially. <laughs> like, and he exploits oh, the yeah. dead. Uh, <laughs> as he sees it, and yeah, he can he can like turn all these limbs into different like ecto guns, and he keeps changing. It's just really, really, it's a really good tongue in cheek gag and a great performance from Ali it Emery. It's just great fun, great gag. It is. Yeah, um, this leads to possibly my favourite scene of the film. Uh, he ends up Bannister having dinner with uh, Lucy at a medieval times sort of restaurant. Yeah, and the intro of the restaurant is so cheesy and is beyond pastiche. It's great, and they sit down and Ray is there, and it's all about Ray and Lucy communicating via Bannister, yeah. Michael J. Fox, and it's just super. All the little stuff like she turns the wrong way to say, "Oh, is Ray here?" <laughs> and he's yeah. not here. He's not there. And he's, he goes oh, the other way. Yeah, you know yeah. that kind of. And she, oh, is he here? <laughs> you know that kind of. It's super stuff. It's super stuff. Right the way through. And there's a there's a bit of like a romance between Lucy and um, Frank, isn't there? And and you're a bit like, oh, she. He's literally just died. But then it's revealed that their marriage wasn't too good and Ray's like, it's the first he's heard about it. And he's like, what? Why? And he can't, yeah. he can't chip in because she can't see him or hear him. I don't know who the guy is who plays Ray, but he's really good. He, yeah, he absolutely nails it. It's Peter Dobson. He absolutely smashes it. Um, he's great. Yeah, I, I do love the fact that um, even though there is that hint of romance, and you know where this is going to go between these two characters, that despite that... Um, Bannister is still not keen on pursuing the romance. No, because of his oh, no, haunted past. Yeah. yeah, literally haunted past. Because and this is what makes it a great role. It's the main haunted nature of his past is 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 long bonds. Which I, I could I could write a dissertation on on this wig that they have Michael J. Fox in in the in the, in the, in the oh, yeah. flashback. <laughs> 
super. I just love that. Right, we're doing a, a flashback, guys. So how can we make it obviously old? Uh, we'll we'll make it sepia tone. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll do that sepia tone. We'll get old vintage car. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that to go. Uh, give Michael J. Fox a log log wig. Uh, do we need, do we need to do that? Yeah, put him in put him in a pastel suit and a long wig. That's eighties. Bam. <laughs> you do know that five years later there'll have been an orc wearing that same wig running around somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like a digger architect's basically. That's what he it was does, in his former it? life before he became yeah. a paranormal conman. Uh, <laughs> likes basketball. Yes. Yeah, oh, it's just honestly. Also, that's a great title, James. Paranormal conman. <laughs> Maybe Universal would have given it a summer release then. Uh, but yeah, the wig is outstanding. Weta did not need to get involved there. That is, that's a hundred percent horse hair. <laughs> this, this movie doesn't let up at all. From it never point. stops. It just keeps. Well, it moving. never stops from doing it. Yeah, it, it's it's pure entertainment, and it delivers. Um, you know, like really pleasing reveals, yeah, and lovely character moments. We get our boy comes in though, doesn't he? Oh, uh, Jeffrey Coombs. What a performance this is! This is <laughs> just incredible. And Jackson approached Jeffrey Coombs as well because he'd enjoyed his work so much in Reanimator, which is very much in the Jackson sort of yeah. wheelhouse. Because he wasn't sure if he was still working or not. And he approached him to be in this film. And he was like, yeah. And he brought a lot of the costume ideas. He decided to make him a fascist with the haircut. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. It's, it? And it's a proper swing for the fences. Everything on the line performance. It's just, it's just great. This is, it's pro- it's, you know, we love Nick Cage around here. And it's this sort of acting that is oh, yeah. why we love that guy. And why I now love Jeffrey Coombs as well. <laughs> He he's he's been involved in so many great projects in his career as well. Yeah. But also loads and loads of um loads of Batman and Spider-Man on TV as well. Ninja Turtles, um Twilight Zone as well. Star Trek. Uh he's been in so much stuff. Yeah. Are we not welcoming him back to the podcast? Holy oh, hell are we not? Jeffrey Combs, was he on something? What was he in? What was he in? It's already been mentioned. On this pod. He wasn't in Abominable, was he? He was in Abominable. Was he? No! He was the, he was the clerk with the oxygen tank. The emphysema yes. suffer, suffering clerk. Oh. <laughs> of course he was. Oh, I'm so, good <laughs> I, I'm so good I know some Bigfoot trivia that Rob doesn't know. <laughs> Honestly, James, like, why did I go in with that, that, like, round the houses sharing scrotums with Gary the Boozy family <laughs> when... We had one teed up right here. Yeah. Dee Wallace and reunited at, well, this is their first (laughs) meeting. Not that they met, but then, and then they reunited 10 years later on on the set of Abominable. As if it was Abominable that joins these two together. I mean, what's going on? (laughs) And not just one, but two cast members as well. This is so good. It's too much for me. Um, So, yeah, Milton Dammers is a, is an incredible not so creation a, not so of a character he's he's kind of like the quasi villain of the film isn't he like he's yeah he's the he's the he's the fly in the ointment isn't he for for frank really yeah outside of the murdering ghost as frank calls him later in the movie he's like you are such an asshole <laughs> yeah and no one says that word like michael j fox no it's, it's brilliant and just to give the listeners a sense of milton dammers he works for the fbi 
He dresses like a Nazi. He has a Hitler haircut. He's covered in <laughs> scars and tattoos. He has a hemorrhoid pillow when he gets into a car. And <laughs> such a weird detail. And, uh, and the <laughs> sound so of women shouting makes him physically sick. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> It's, you, you can't. This character. I mean, is this the most insane single character that we've had on the podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. There's no reason for him to be this bonkers in this movie. There's just really not any reason for it. But it make it makes it so memorable. I mean, some people might think it's just too zany, and perhaps it causes a bit of a tonal. Ooh imbalance but for me it's just so memorable it's well good I, and i've taken to using one of milton damas's phrases as well uh rob you'll appreciate this you know when you're trying to do something and one of your, when your children comes over and they don't really understand personal space do these children they just, they just get all up in your grill whenever they want something uh so now i've taken to say you you are violating my territorial bubble uh, yes that's just a and also, I did, when I heard that, I was like, why have they gone with social distancing? <laughs> Territorial bubble is the word. We should be. <laughs> it's, and it's so ahead of its time as well. Yeah. Oh, so we get um, uh, this ongoing um, underlying plot that there is something going on at this house where uh, E.T.'s mum and um, who has it going on. <laughs> um, is with <laughs> is hanging out with um, her mother who won't let her leave the house. Yep. And um, obviously everything is ramping up, but but Bannister and Lucy are re- re- sort of realizing that it sort of centers around them. Yeah. Especially when they work out that the de- the pseudo Dementor figure is um, is what's his Bartlett. name? It's Johnny, Johnny Bartlett. Bartlett yeah, yeah. So I was going to call him um, Jake Boozy's scrotum <laughs> again. Gary Busey's brother. <laughs> Gary Burns' <laughs> Again, you know, another example of the time when you can say he hosts a film podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we race we race forward to this point where we get to the ashes of Bartlett, isn't it? Yeah. And oh so no, they go to the house and Lucy's gonna go and be with uh D. Wallace Stone. Yeah, Patricia, yes. and yeah. Patricia. She tries to save her, doesn't she? Because she believes that Patricia's a victim in all this. That she, she yes. was 15 and she was swept away by romance with um, with Carrie Boosie's brother. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to be Stop. my girlfriend? <laughs> Lucy feels she's the victim and her mum is the bad guy, but it, it doesn't... This is the twist in the in the final act, isn't it? That yeah, it's not, Ooh, that's why not that's as innocent as she first appear, appears. It's such a fantastic piece of casting, isn't it? Because you would never really expect is, yeah. Dee Wallace, you know, Elliot's mum, to be yeah to be an absolute psycho. And when she does the heel turn in the in the third act, it's absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that phrase. Heel turn it's is my so favourite. Such a good phrase. <laughs> The heel turn happens, really. <laughs> when um, Gar- Gary Boozy, <laughs> Jake Boozy uh, and um, Elliot's mum are talking to each other in front of Lucy. Yes. And she sort of works out that she's still trying to have a conversation with her, but she's answering questions of Gary, Jake Boozy's. <laughs> Making an absolute pig's ear. Yeah. So We're sorry. never going to get Jake Boozy on the pod now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're really not. We're really not. The family resemblance is so strong, though. It's almost like he's his son. He looks so much like <laughs> It's almost like he's his brother. 
<laughs> but they um, and they go upstairs. Sorry, Lucy goes upstairs and sees that. Oh my word! The mum is in the bed, and I think this is the hardest moment of the film where she's all yeah slashed yeah. up in the bed. Yeah. Now that's naughty, naughty time. That is why my ten-year-old is not going to be allowed to see. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anything else would stop her from enjoying this. You've got to remember as well with this, uh, Peter Jackson's never made a family film before at this point, you know, yeah. like or something that isn't isn't solely for adults. And I think he's just trying to rein himself in, but he can't quite get away from those sensibilities. He wants to do <laughs> yeah, the horror, like, absolutely. and he wants to but do when, the gore. Like, <laughs> when I think about the gore of this film, though, I don't think there's anything worse, apart from this bit. Yeah. Like, seeing an elderly woman hacked up in a bed, is mm. that's an awful word? I'm so sorry. <laughs> slash, stabbed. Yeah, in a bed. Slash. Is, slash would also be a good word. Yeah, so. yeah it's bad. Um, you see, it would have been also a good. Word. <laughs> <laughs> what Gary or Jake? Which, which, oh which, my god, brother. I slashed a good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything worse in this up to this point than there's been in the Indiana Jones saga. I mean, like, um, no. recently in. <laughs> In flipping Temple of Doom, like I noticed on the Blu-ray transfer that there's, you know, when they're all going like dum dum shimai, dum dum shimai. Yeah. There's the skins of people upon the wall, you know, who've and and they're Temple of Doom with, is is not. It's not honestly. It's got their faces and pubic hair on. <laughs> it's absolutely. It's a PG. Spielberg could it's get insane. away with murder in the eighties. What? Correct. Temple of Doom is is not a PG. <laughs> it's not a PG. Honestly. And then then pube flags in the background made of skin. <laughs> That's another different gravy. Um but anyway, yes, they find the you know the body. Oh, we know it's now that Patricia yeah. is part of this. Um and then we get this this great coming together showdown in the psychiatric hospital where Bartlett murdered his initial twelve. Yeah, what what a shift in performance by Dee Wallace though. Oh, it's great. It's, it's it's incredible. It's so good because she's she's so convincing as the victim for yeah. the vast majority of the yeah. film, and then it's just it just twists on a knife, doesn't it? And you're like, oh no, she's the bad guy. She's the actual yeah. bad guy in everything. If anything, she was the ringleader. Yeah. Yeah. And she was uh, during the event, the, the the killing spree, as it were. She's the one keeping score and writing the score yeah. in a Stanley knife on people's heads. Exactly. Yeah. Heads, yeah. And I, I love this whole sequence in the in the asylum at the end because it's a whole derelict asylum, isn't it? And because yeah. earlier on in the uh, film, which we've skipped over, is that uh, Michael J. Fox has an out of body experience, doesn't he? He sort of yes. He does a he has a cheeky bit of flatlining. In a <laughs> in an industrial <laughs> freezer, and he goes and goes after the soul collector, doesn't he? Poor R. Lee Emery gets cut to pieces. We didn't even talk about the judge shagging a mummy as well during one oh, of the music. Yeah, I, don't want, I don't want to talk about that. That was a low point of the movie. That was that, that was not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, especially a lot this going particular on. line he says that is not a good line. <laughs> yeah, it's not aged too well. Uh, probably another no. reason it didn't get a PG thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? There are quite a few scenes in this film, to be fair, where I'm like, I don't know why that made the final cut. That one being one of them, the lead breastplate of Dammers being another one. <laughs> There's a few bits where you're just like, why is this in the final cut? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Take that out. You're not losing anything. But anyway, yeah. carry on. And uh, yeah, so then um, 
Bannister and uh, and Lucy they escape to this island, don't they? Because that's where they need to they need to take the uh, the ashes to somewhere holy, don't they? So that they can sort of exercise mm. Bartlett and that he can fuck off essentially because he's causing absolute havoc down here on Earth. And yeah, and it's because he's had this out of body experience. He starts as he's moving through the abandoned asylum, which is really spooky. He keeps having flashes of where he's in the present of the massacre that happened back in the 60s. And it's just so insanely well done how this sequence is cut together. He's having these hallucinations and seeing people getting plugged with shotguns and whatnot. He's trying to dive in front of bullets and then he's snapping back to the present and he's in this abandoned... Uh, hospital and it's just it's just really really great filmmaking it's very inventive yeah. and it's yeah uh, you know i i this film this film rocks it's really really good it really is uh, it's also a, a massive triumph for um set design and lighting during yeah. this whole sequence i mean it has been right the way through but especially here it's really really good this set's amazing what they created yeah and it, it jackson's really good at set pieces to be fair, he knows how yeah. to crank tension. He's got such command of the camera as well. Uh, the cinematography is fantastic in um, in order throughout the film, but particularly in this sequence, it's it's really really engaging. Yeah. Uh, what do they say on the internet? Hard agree. <laughs> it's a bit partridge that. Sorry, yeah, yeah. that's a bit rude. <laughs> um, it's a it's not a convoluted way, but trying to explain it on a podcast is quite convoluted. Yeah, um, how they managed to get one over Patricia and Bartlett, but they managed to Lucy and Bannister, not without loads of fun, thrills and spills. And we get down to a point where it appears that Bannister is dead, but he's not, and it's all okay in the end. Not before a little visit to because um, he sacrifices himself essentially. He does, yeah, to save Lucy. Um, I do love a good sacrifice in a film. Yeah. Um, and he goes up to heaven, dragging... Yeah, he drags uh, Patricia's soul out of her body, doesn't he? Because he's a ghost yes, now, he's does, dead. Yeah. yeah. And he goes yeah. up the tunnel and takes her... To get yeah. Bartlett. Yeah. yeah to, to, it's to bait Bartlett, isn't it? That's right. And um, and um, uh, they get sucked down to hell. They do. Um, and, oh, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because he, he, he gets up to heaven and he meets up with Stuart and Shia McBride's character. They got killed by Bartlett as poltergeist form, and they're all up in heaven. He's like, yeah, you might want to look away at this moment. It's going to get nasty because these souls don't belong in heaven. And then the tunnel turns into sort of like a big worm, doesn't it? And then like all snakes start going in and out of <laughs> Patricia and Bartlett's eyes, and they get it's like the express train down to hell, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And we then come to that um, Bannis is not dead. Yeah. And he's not done on Earth yet. Um, and he gets sent back. And obviously, we cut to lovely Forever Megan <laughs> with Lucy. Um, and uh, yeah, some lovely. The guy, one of the cops from Brooklyn Nine-Nine shows up. Yeah, Walt. Um, who was in the movie earlier? Walt, yeah. He wants to write a true, gra- a true crime non-fiction yeah! book. <laughs> so good, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, basically, it, uh, they have just a throwaway line about how Bartlett came back. It's like, oh, we've just been through Patricia's house and she had all these Ouija boards. Do you think she might have brought Bartlett? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was probably it. Like, They don't bother to explain <laughs> that at all in the yeah. movie. It's just like, they realise it doesn't matter and we'll just throw it away at the end. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do like that. Um, 
Favourite bits, fellas? I've got to say, Damas's death is absolutely brilliant in yeah, the asylum. So <laughs> the way it's set up is that Damas has taken possession of the of the ashes and Bannister is saying to him, give me those, we need to take them to the chapel to exercise this ghost, essentially. And Damas throws them out the window and he's like, you are such an asshole. <laughs> he's like, I'm an asshole with an Uzi. And he shoots <laughs> He shoots Michael J. Fox, and then Michael J. Fox is staggering back into the asylum itself, and he comes uh, he comes across a hole in the floor, and then in front of him is Patricia, who's wielding a shotgun. She aims to shoot him. Damas is behind him. He jumps through the floor, leaving Damas there, and his head explodes as the shotgun blast goes <laughs> past. And it's uh, and his lovely ghostly face pops up where his where his actual head yeah, was. That's <laughs> such a great touch. Yeah, such yeah. a great touch. Apparently, um, Peter Jackson only put that in as out of spite for uh, to the MPAA because they wouldn't give him a PG thirteen because he was originally going to get shot in the chest, but then he decided no, he can be shot in the head. Now we're getting an R rating. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a better so it's a much. it's a great uh it's a really well choreographed sequence and it's a really great mm. gag as well hard agree again <laughs> getting used to that phrase now uh <laughs> si, what about you man uh my yeah it's in the same end sequence actually so where where frank's getting a glimpse into johnny and patricia's killing spree in the asylum but it's the bit where he sees young patricia uh sort of brandishing a knife and she's creeping slowly towards the camera and she's looking directly down the barrel and it's like, you know, you're in um, Frank's sort of POV and she's just walking up dead slow and then you get the Elfman scores going full Tim Burton with the like creepy la 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 music <laughs> and then all the walls morph into the decrepit hospital and she dis- the young Patricia disappears but then the Present day Patricia just slides in through a doorway with a shotgun. Yes. And then just, sh- and it's just that whole bit, that yeah, whole shot, cool, the rhythm and execution of that whole sequence is just, it's just fantastic filmmaking. It really, really is. Just like everything, yeah, everything, is the, the way it's all done and it's just all with her sliding in on a socks. <laughs> you know, like, like you're, yeah. you're at a wedding, slide on your knees. It's so good, yeah. And man. She, she just slides in through a doorway. It's just that bit was just like, this yeah. is fantastic filmmaking. Really, yeah. really Giving it the old Tom Cruise in Risky Business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But with a shotgun. Better. But with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite bit um, is that entire fence smashing sequence at the start <laughs> when Michael J. Fox leaves, Bannister leaves the house, but decides that he will make time to drive over the gnome <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> and and Ray shouts something like he calls it a name, I'm sure. Something like Steven <laughs> He's absolutely gutted about it. It's so good. And it's that like tiny character moment for that does something for both of those characters. Yeah. The make a movie. Uh, so yeah, that that no, no. I always like watching a gnome get destroyed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so fellas, uh, the frankness for your reconsideration, uh, James. You'll go last. Sign. Yeah, um, it's such a curio of a film that's always it was always destined to be a cult classic, considering how weird it is tonally. But ultimately, it's got some really inventive storytelling and just some 
fucking brilliant filmmaking going on. It really is like to, you know, it's a really good sort of signpost into what Peter Jackson will go on to do in terms of his his films. And then put that together with a belter of a score from Danny Elfman, which I just imagine him in the in the studio watching the film just the whole time conducting his orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the listeners could see stop. what Simon's doing. I really wish they yeah. <laughs> what's going on in Simon's window at the moment. But, uh, because it doesn't stop. The score does not stop. It's a constant stream of music for the whole film. So good. Um, I... I do think it's one of those films that lives in a certain pocket of cinema history. And you may feel that there are... If you haven't seen it, you may feel that there are elements that have dated as a result. One particular joke, which we did briefly discuss, which was a bit horrible. Um, and and some, some of the performances may be as well a, a, a certain pocket in time. But on the whole, it's it's such a hoot of a movie. It just needed to be marketed properly to become that family Halloween classic that it deserved to be and get the audience it deserved. Because this should be a annual family Halloween movie like Hocus Pocus or those sorts of like that that sort of level of spooky cinema. Not scary. It's not it's not a horror film. It, it's more of a spooky film, and it is just like. Casper, but with added serial killers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I just think it, it it deserves more than than what it got, basically. Um, and I'm glad that Peter Jackson did. He's done all right in the end. Doesn't He's he? done all right. <laughs> so I love the fact that you're our de facto um, poster quote guy because that's um, Casper, <laughs> but with serial killers. <laughs> the FYR film podcast. It's better than the um, tagline that's on the actual poster. It really, genuinely <laughs> is. Oh dear! Um, I I have to look at this film um, now through um, a certain lens because I found this quite bittersweet. I know I've said that word before. Um, I'm very glad that Jackson got the career that he clearly deserved after this. But this film was sunk and battered by absolute mismanagement at every level of the studio system. If this film was given that PG-13 rating that it should have been, now, I don't know what led to that not being given or whatever, but if it was given that, then we wouldn't have had the shot of the, the old lady on the bed. We wouldn't have had the shot of Dammers getting his head blown to pieces. And it would have been that Halloween classic that, you know, or maybe it would have been gone a long way to becoming that Halloween classic because I think it plugs a gap. I don't think this is, you know, I wouldn't show it my five and six-year-old, sorry, my five and three-year-old who like Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. But I would show it my 10, 12-year-old. Yeah, definitely. And there's not many films there in that spooky category that can do that. Because Gremlins is a bit hard for them. Yeah. You know, that's just a benchmark point. There's a gap there to be plugged here, uh, to to be filled um, by movies of this type. And why not with one of the greatest living film directors? (laughs) Um, There's so much invention. There's so much... um, we used the word charisma for Michael J. Fox before, but I want to use it in the application to Jackson's filmmaking. This is like it's muscular, charismatic filmmaking. Yes, this is um, what's the word? This is um, swinging as you walk, isn't it? You know, it's like the guy walking into the gym with his arms out either side, like like you know. Just the filmmaking exactly. has BDE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> it, it... <laughs> Another quote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and I'm just, I, like, I, I loved every moment of it. I had an absolute blast with it. I'm ashamed that I didn't see it before, but I'm not ashamed for me, actually. I'm ashamed for the, the film system, the studio system that didn't give this the time it clearly deserved and the marketing strategy it clearly deserved. I've just looked it up on Blu-ray, right, you know, like during while we've been talking, and it's 20, 24 quid on oh, Blu-ray on Amazon. Um, and it's that still that hopeless white cover of that face, and it just says the frighteners on it. No one knows this film exists. Which that face, not, that face isn't in the film at it's all. It's nothing to do like, with the film. It's, it's nothing it's to do. Weird, with isn't it? It's hopeless, and it seems a bit like you know, like um, the screen mask is a motif. It's like, can we get a motif from someone? Well, no. If it's got no relevance to the film, you can't yeah. just conjure a motif. Um, yeah. I just think it's great. The big one for me is Michael J. Fox is unbelievably good in this film. And God love you, man. I just wish we saw more movies when you were doing this. That's all. I, oh, I don't want to go down any route of saying I wish you were a, you know, whatever. But goodness me, uh, Michael J. Fox, when he's in this mood, in this sort of, this is his sort of material, isn't it? I think it like is. This it is. But he of, gives it everything. Yeah. He gives it everything. Um, I just wish we had more Michael J. Fox in our lives. I think that's the way I'm going to say it. That's the way I'll put it. Um, so, yeah, it's a massive four-year reconsideration, and, and there will be a lot of people out there who've never seen or heard of this. Brilliant. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad it's such a winner with both of you. So, yeah, um, again, just to sort of echo what you guys have said, so despite being a little tonally uneven, this is a really slick, atmospheric piece of genre cinema. Uh, the effects hold up quite well, I thought, for the most part. Maybe it's because I watched they it in really standard de- standard definition. Maybe in 4K <laughs> they don't. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> on the horror channel, it, it looked okay to me. The mythology and the rules of the world are well established. And it just feels to me like everyone involved is having a great time. It's a fun, brilliantly bonkers ride of a movie and one that I think our listeners will definitely get a kick out of. Oh, yeah. Whether they've seen it before or if it's going to be a first watch, you should definitely track it down. It was a real pleasure to revisit this as it's even better than I remember it being. And yeah, I've loved this. This has been great. Oh, wicked. Oh, James. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I know. It's like a lovely little... Oh, that's a nice one, that one. And it's a film about a, a paranormal con man. Exactly. Well, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, fellas. Thank you, especially James, for bringing that one to the pod tonight. Mm. Um, listeners, you can go out there and get it. It was on the horror channel last week. It's 25 quid or 24 quid on Blu-ray. You can um, rent it as normal, though, from you, the regular yeah, you places. Can rent yeah. it. You, you can also own it in high def and really test James's <laughs> assertions <laughs> if you really want to for eight quid on Amazon. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely brilliant. Um, what have we got next, Si? Your pickup believe oh yeah it is my pick uh we're heading to the future uh for a for a film that certainly puts the science in science fiction and uh, a return to the pod for ethan hawk actually um Lovely. as we're going to take in andrew nichols uh gattaca Ooh. a serious I like that one movie. I like it's a it. serious one yeah <laughs> yeah it's you know spoiler alert it's the first watch for me oh lovely Ooh, it's a good it's a good one does anyone good else one. do this with the title of that movie i just always want to say it like <laughs> don't know why no reason <laughs> not in keeping with the tone of the film but every time I see it I just want to go gotta go <laughs> I think you've ruined my wife and kids eardrums for the next week sorry so. <laughs>
know what I'm saying. Oh, splendid. Well, I look forward to that one. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, please join us uh, next time for Gattaca. Uh, also, uh, tune in on uh, Spodcast. Spodcast? What is Spodcast? <laughs> Spotify and iTunes and all your major pod subscribers. It would be great if you would give us a cheeky little five stars on there. Please enjoy all the other podcasts on the Pod Dojo Network. And what do we say next? Come back next time. Plug we'll the, see you soon. Plug the Twitter and plug the merch. Oh, yes, Twitter. <laughs> we have one of those, at FYR Film Pod. Um, we might, by the time you listen to this, have a cheeky little Instagram. It'll be something similar. Listen to that. <laughs> and also, go to the merch store, pods, uh, pod-dojo.com, click the book, big button that says merch, and um, fill your absolute ever-loving boots as I filled my family's. I, um, I, I can confirm the the FYR Heritage Collection with um, a picture of uh, Rainbow Drink. <laughs> <laughs> it, was I, I, it does need adding that, uh, that I, tonight during this record, I was in a, a traditional FYR t-shirt. But, but Sai was... I mean, he, he showed up with a classier option. He's wearing the FYR Heritage Drink. It's just um, a great T-shirt. Where did you get the picture from? I, don't, I feel like my, my sister-in-law Susie. Big shout, out sister-in-law Susie. Um, love you loads. Uh, she uh, drew it. Are you joking? Wow. No, nope. it's an exclusive illustration. Do I we owe her any money? <laughs> um, I don't. It's fucking brilliant. Susie, Rainbow Susie drink. Get any any <laughs> FYR markup that we get, and it's it, sorry FYR heritage markup that we get, and it's not a lot. Um, <laughs> No, it's goes really to not. goes to Susie. Oh, Susie! Oh, so I I got in touch with her. You know when you bought that T-shirt, site, I got in touch with her and said, you know, there was a T-shirt and a sticker. I think that went to someone in America. God bless you, listener. We love you. <laughs> um, and I got in touch with her and said, Susie, don't worry. Next time I see you when lockdown is over, I owe you one pound seventy-five. Love you, Susie, and love you, everyone out there. Thank you for everything. Say goodbye, boys. Bye bye. Take it easy. I'm going to go and hang out with the Busey brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Once they've got out of their mother's womb, what a disgrace. <laughs> oh, dear. That's a bad one. That, for, that is a bad <laughs> mistake. It's a bad error. <laughs>